Merry Christmas. Hey, I am so pumped. I love Christmas. It is my favorite time of the year. Um, but I'll tell you, as I've approached Christmas, one of the questions that oftentimes plagues me is uh, what seems to be such a joyous time for so many, how it oftentimes can also be such a discouraging time for others. Uh, matter of fact, um, there's um, something that most of us in here probably ask ourselves often, and that is, if, if Christmas is supposed to be exciting, why uh, is it that I'm, I'm ready for it to just come? And then how many of you have said, I'm so ready for it to be over with? Yes? Maybe you can admit to that. Yes? Anybody? If you've been wrapping gifts, you're like, I'm so done with this, right? Um, and oftentimes we ask ourselves, like, how is it that this momentous occasion where we celebrate the birth of Jesus, the incarnate word who came and he made himself known among us, how does it become such a time where we dread to be a part of it? How is it oftentimes though that even at Christmas we, we look around and we, we find ourselves discouraged, sometimes more disconnected from God than maybe where we've been in other parts of the year or even seasons of our life? I know for me, I... Uh, I've had some seasons, even in the last five and a half years, where I've felt disconnected from God at times. I've honestly felt discouraged. There's been points and times where I felt like quitting, um, where I felt like just kind of giving up on this pastoring gig. And, and then I started kind of wondering, why is it that I oftentimes feel that way? And even in, in seasons like this at Christmas, where you feel lonely and sometimes discouraged or a little bit anxious or even alone, how do we move past that? How do, we, how do we prevent being at a point where we're ready just to throw in the towel and just be done with many areas of our life? And I think Jesus kind of gives us an idea of how we would be able to, to, to move past some of those struggles in our own life, at least for me. Matter of fact, here's what I discovered. In the seasons and times where I felt discouraged, discontented, frustrated with people, ready to give up on this pastoring gig, were times where I was actually most disconnected from God. Times where I was not abiding richly in him. And Jesus actually is going to give us this idea of what abiding looks like. And if you have your Bibles, you can see it for yourself in front of you in John chapter 15. If you didn't bring your Bible tonight, that's okay. We're going to put it for you on the screen. Maybe you're here and you're like, I don't even have a Bible. We would love to bless you with one before you leave tonight. Like we would love it to be a Christmas present to you uh, to be able to give you a Bible if you don't have one. And so uh, please just uh, go to our, our resource area out in the lobby and we would love to get you one tonight. Um, Jesus has said many things about himself. Uh, matter of fact, over the last six weeks here at Stone Point, we've looked at several of those things. And we would refer to those uh, as I am statements, statements that Jesus said about himself. He would say, I am and in John chapter 6, he said, I am the bread. In John chapter 10, he said, I am the, the door. He said, I am the good shepherd. John chapter 11, he says, I'm the resurrection of the life. John chapter 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He also said, I am the light of the world. And then here, he's going to refer to himself as the vine. And in John chapter 15, if you look at verse 1, and just a handful of verses after that, Jesus is going to say who he is. And in verse one, he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. And then in verse two, he says that every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes it away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. 
And so then he refers to us as people here who would claim to know God as branches. And so the father is, the, the, in the sense, the vine dresser, the gardener. Jesus says, I am the vine. And then he says, and you are the branches. And he goes, here's the, it's pretty simple. He says, I'm going to prune those that what? Don't bear fruit. And so the goal for us as Christians, the goal that Jesus is trying to help his audience see, and particularly disciples that he's speaking to, in which he's going to be leaving in a few short hours. He wants them to understand that we should produce fruit. And you beg the question, you go, well, I don't really understand what fruit is. I mean, okay, how are we to produce fruit? And Jesus says, listen, you, verse 3, are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Then verse 4, he says, abide in me, and then I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And so Jesus is trying to help us understand something. He's trying to help us see that you and I cannot do anything if we're not connected to the vine. So think about this. If, if you uh, are, are planting a crop, if you have uh, fig trees, if you have uh, blackberry trees or bushes, blueberry trees, or peaches, whatever, if you were to take a branch that came from the main shoot, the vine, and you were to break that off in a few days, what would happen? It would wither, it would dry, and there would be no fruit. There would be absolutely no production. And that's what Jesus wants you and I to see. You and I are not meant to do things on our own. We are supposed to be connected to the vine. Where there is a vine, there is life and there is fruitfulness. And so if you and I are disconnected from the vine, there is no life and there is no fruitfulness. And then John chapter 15, verse five, Jesus says something that most of us have heard, and if you don't know it, I encourage you in the next seven days, make this the final challenge of 2016, that you would memorize verse five, because it is fantastic. Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, will what? Bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. See, think about this. Fruit is a delight, like there is a sweetness to fruit. Matter of fact, there is no one who goes to the grocery store and you go, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy cauliflower for the kids. I think they would love that. <laughs> like that's not, they, you, they don't love that. But if, if you go, I'm gonna get them some sweet tasting fruit, they'll love it. At the same time, if you go to a nursery, you're gonna pick out a fruit tree. You don't look at the green leaves and go, man, this one looks phenomenal. I'm gonna look at, the, look at these leaves. You look at what? Fruit. You are concerned about the fruit. Why? Because fruit is the product of knowing God. Fruit is the picture that you know God. Did you hear what I said? Fruit is the picture that you know God. It's not that you say, I know God. It's not that you say, I believe God. It's fruit that, that produces in you the picture that you know God. Matter of fact, in John chapter 14, Pastor Brian spoke of this last week, and he didn't take a whole lot of time to expound on it, but I, I think it's worth noting tonight. Jesus actually says in John chapter 14, after he declares, I am the way, the truth, and the life, in verse 6, no one comes to the Father but by me, he later on, he talks to his disciples, and he says to this, truly, truly, I say to you in verse 12, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, but 
you'll even do greater works than the, the, these works that I do because I'm going to the Father. So Jesus, get this, the one who brought Lazarus, his friend, back from the dead in John chapter 11, the one who uh, healed uh, a, a blind man in John chapter 9, the one who made a paralytic man in John chapter 5 to walk after 38 years, is telling his disciples, hey, I'm going away, but you're going to do even greater works than I do. Do what? That's, like, that's perplexing to me. How is it that I'm going to do greater works than Jesus? I mean, Jesus, I mean, he is the Messiah of the world who came among and dwelt among people to bring healing, to bring peace, to bring joy to all men. I'm going to do greater works than he. And Jesus says, and the reason why is because the Holy Spirit is going to come to you. He says, I'm going to leave and I'm going to send a more suitable helper for you, which is God living in his people. Which is why we talked about earlier this year, it's very simple. You and I are the ecclesia, the the called out ones. We're the church. Listen, Jesus says it this way. He says, I am the head and you are the body. You are my hands and feet. If, If the world is going to see God, it's going to be through a demonstration of who? His people, the church. He says it in John 10 this way. He goes, I am the good shepherd and you are my sheep. He says, if if people are going to know that you are mine, then you're going to hear my voice. You're going to follow me. Why? Because he's trying to help us understand this picture here in John 15. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So the idea is, is you and I need to quit proclaiming that we know God and yet we don't do what he says. That was his point in John 14. He goes, if you know me, do what I said. Matter of fact, he's going to say the same thing in John chapter 15, starting in verse 12 and following. He's going to do the same thing. You can highlight, I'm not going to read it for you tonight, but the bottom line, he goes, if, if, you, if you want to show people you're my disciples, you'll do what I say. So how do people know that you love God? By your fruit. What is fruit? Fruit is best seen by what comes out of a man. It's Colossians 2, 6, and 7. So then just as you received Christ as Lord, be, continue to live in him. Be rooted, built up, strengthened in the faith, overflowing with thankfulness. Do you see it? So just as you receive Christ as Lord, that's not where it stops. Like that's the goal oftentimes. And that's what many times you'll hear a pastor or a preacher or, or even a friend tell you, hey man, you just need to come to know Jesus. Invite him into your heart and you'll be good. You'll go to heaven. You'll live with him forever. And it's going to be glorious and great. And then they stop right there. But Paul says, no, 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 no. It's more than that. So just as you receive Christ as Lord, continue to what? walk in him. Be rooted, built up, strengthen the faith. Why? So you overflow with thankfulness. Listen, in Matthew, uh, he says it this way, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus says, hey, it, it's not what you're thinking you know, externally. It's, what, it's what's inside of a man that matters because what's inside of a man is what comes out of a man. It's the idea here in John 15. If you know him, you'll bear much fruit. And you may go, well, I don't understand what you keep talking about fruit. Like, I don't, I mean, what do you want me to do? Bring, bring something instead of donuts? Okay, I mean... No, bearing fruit. So here it is. It's, it's Christian character. It's Galatians 5, and 23. For the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Why? Because against such things there is no law. It's Christian character. Do you see it? It's worship. 
It is the idea of knowing God, worshiping him in spirit and truth, John 8. It's the picture of worship in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, or 15. Let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of the lips would acknowledge his name. That's why we're gathering tonight. Like, we're not gathering tonight simply because it's a Christmas tradition, although that may have been your reason to come, and I'm glad you're here. But the greatest reason that we're here is so that we can declare to God the fruit of our praise by our lips. So you say, God, you are good, and you are glorious, and you are worthy of our worship. And God, you are worthy of us stopping all of this crazy chaos for a moment and just spending some time to worship you with his people. He's worth that. So we, we do that. It's not just character. It's not just worship, but it's also generosity. The reason that we give in a time of need like this where people have so little is, is because we want to be generous. First Timothy 6, 17 through 19. We want to be missional. Like what a better time to talk to people about who Jesus is to you. Listen to me. In a time where you think there is so much joy, there is actually millions right now that are in so much sorrow. Even in this room, there are people who it took every ounce of their being to come tonight because they know when they leave this place, they're the only ones gathering in their living room. They didn't put up a Christmas tree this year. There is no stocking hung. There is no gift under the tree. This is all they've got. As I spoke to one man who came and we set out in the foyer right before the first service started, he goes, Brandon, this is all I got. And he goes, who would have thought 40 years ago as I had toddlers that it would be this way? That's why we're missional. That's why we tell people about Jesus. That's why we are fruitful. That's why we live pure lives. 2 Timothy 2, 22, flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Do you see it? So it's, it's look, look at, listen, it's not just you being something, it's you doing something. You understand? It's, it's not just knowing God, but it's also making him known. It's not just receiving the good news, but it's sharing the good news. Do you get it? So it's not just about what God is doing to you, but it, what is God doing through you? So that's what God wants us to do. James, the half-brother of Jesus, says it best in James chapter 2. He goes, your faith without works is dead. You claim to be my disciple, but you don't do anything. No, it cannot be that way. Let me explain to you in a way that maybe you can understand. I think most of us in here at some time were, were bachelors, or maybe you're in a bachelor season right now. Well, before I got married to, to, to Kelly, my wife, I was a bachelor, and that, what that meant was is I didn't do many dishes, okay? I did some dishes, but not many dishes. And really, the only time I did some dishes was after about two weeks, everything I owned was piled up in the sink. <laughs> and I wanted to eat a pizza, and I had to do one dish in order to make that happen. And so I can remember all the muscle, all the force that it took in my being to be able to scrape stuff off that plate after two or three weeks, right? And when I got married to my wife, she's like, Brandon, listen to me. This is not happening anymore, period. Not happening in our house. So then it, all of my joy, I guess, turned to gloom and sorrow and sadness. I thought, what? The bachelor days are over. And then I realized... That doesn't mean that I have to scrub dishes. It means that I got to abide more. And so here's what I did. I learned that if I would just get a sink full of hot water and a little bit of Dawn dish soap, I could let everything soak until I needed it. 
and it was glorious. Like it, it was no like scrubbing. There was no rubbing. It was just like, hey, babe, I made it as simple as possible. Get whatever you need. It'll come right off. Now, my friends, that's abiding, okay? Now, like for many of us in here, here's, here's how we do our life. Like maybe, maybe you can relate. It's, it's like a bachelor and it's like you turn to God when it's really hard and it's elbow grease and it's grit and it's you trying to somehow pull everything up by your bootstrap and handle it yourself. And listen, that's, that's the idea of religion, you trying to handle it on your own. Abiding is saying, God, I, I am not going to try to scrape my own life. I'm just going to rest in you. I'm going to abide in you, the vine. You give life and you produce fruit. And the more I'm with you, the more people will see the evidence thereof. And then Jesus just shows you what it looks like to abide. I mean, and look, it's incredible. There's, there's really five things after, the, in verse 6, he just gives you kind of the warning. He goes, and it's really not even a warning. He just tells you what happens. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and he withers. And the branches are gathered, they're thrown in the fire and they're burned. This isn't some hostile message from Jesus. What he's simply saying is this. If you know me, you'll bear fruit. If you don't know me, you'll never bear fruit. It's not this picture of there was one salvation that knocked on a guy's house. He knew God, and then somehow he slid away and never knew God away, so God cast him out. That's not the picture that God gives us of salvation. Jesus is given sheep in John chapter 10. He says, they're my fathers. He gave them to me, and I'll not lose one. So the picture is not did they lose something they once had. The deal is they never had it. So if you, if you know God, you're going to bear much fruit. If you don't, you're going to be gathered up, cut off, and thrown in the fire. But I know it's kind of a harsh warning, but that's the idea. He's not trying to scare you. He's trying to give you the realistic idea of what it looks like to bear fruit. Then verse 7, look at the promises. He gives you five of them real quickly. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. You'll have answered prayer when you abide with God. He will answer your prayer. Not the... The kind that you think, oh, I'm going to attach Jesus' name on the end of it. John chapter 14, what we talked about last week, Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. He's not saying, hey, God, um, man, I really would like a new car this Christmas. I'm going to ask that since Santa didn't make it happen, you'll make it happen in Jesus' name. No, that's not the idea. That is not the picture of Psalm 37, 4. Delight in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. See, if you delight in the Lord, if you saturate yourself with God. If you abide in him, he's going to change your heart's desires to look like his desires. And the more they look his desires, the more he, what, wants to answer your prayer because you aligned your will and your life and your heart with his life and will and heart. It is the same idea that the half-brother of Jesus writes in James 4. He says, you ask and you don't receive. Why? Because you ask with wrong motives that you would spend it on your own pleasures. So God is not a genie in the bottle. He desires to be known by you and to know you. He desires to answer your prayer, but it's only when you abide and you know him and you love him and you serve him. How do you know if you're doing that? By your fruit. Then he says, by this, my father's glorified. He desires to be glorified in you. John Piper says this way, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. When you soak with Jesus, when you allow him to clean your life up because of his grace and truth, the more that you're gonna glorify him. Why? Because People see what's going on in your life. You'll bear fruit. You'll prove that you're his disciples. Number three, you're going to show people that you're his disciples. And then in verse nine, it says, and the father's loved me, so I've loved you. Listen to that. 
As the Father loved me, I have loved you. God loves you and he desires to know you and to be known by you. That's an amazing thing. Why? Because in a time right now where we're wondering how do we get past the anxiousness, the loneliness, the feelings of discontent and discouragement, Jesus is just giving you the solution. He says, abide in me. Keep my commandments. You'll abide in my love. Just as I've kept the Father's commands, abide in his love. Jesus is simply saying, listen, don't buy into the chaos. Don't buy into the confusion. Don't buy into the discouragement. Don't buy into the loneliness. You're not alone. I've never left you. I've never forsaken you, and I never will, and I never have. And so abide in me, abide in me, abide in me. And here's what's interesting. In the next 24 hours, there's many of us in this room, but certainly many of people around us, that their quest is not abiding. Their quest is happiness. They're doing everything to fill the void in their life. And so just as you would see on any Google search you would have, there are at least 25 things that Google and uh, Wikipedia and other places would recommend that you do for Christmas that would bring happiness. And some of them are things that you do. Like right now in this moment, there are some people that they're going around and they're singing Christmas carols from door to door because that brings them great happiness. There's others that right now they're dreaming, even in this room, of fudge, their grandmother's fudge. It brings great happiness. There's some that you're going to gather, and as you always do on Christmas Eve, you're going to open a gift, and you're going to celebrate some time together. Why? Because it brings you happiness. There's some of you that you're going to gather around a piano or a guitar, and you're going to sing songs. Why? Because it brings you happiness. Some of you, you're going to take all the things that you would have spent on your husband, and you're going to spend them on a neighbor or a friend that doesn't have as much. Why? Because it brings you happiness. And we look for things that bring us happiness. There's some of you in here that... Like Christmas won't even be complete until you've watched what? Christmas vacation. <laughs> because somehow, intrinsically, deep down, you're like, it brings me happiness. But listen, Jesus' promise is not to bring you happiness. Look at his promise in verse 11. He says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That your joy may be full. That's why he came. So that you may have a life that's complete and full of joy and splendor over the good news of Jesus. And so I encourage you that as you go tonight, that you would concentrate on this one thing. Whether you're gathering tonight or tomorrow morning or you're not gathering with anybody at all, focus on this one thing. God, help me to abide in you. Help me to know you, to love you. Help me to bear much fruit. Why? Because that's when people know that I'm your disciple. Theologian D.A. Carson, he wrote the phenomenal quote. And I want you to leave it with you, although it, it may make your head kind of pound for just a few moments. Like, it's phenomenal, though, because this is, I think, for many of us in this room, our lives. And it certainly was mine for a season in my life. And I'm so glad that God brought me past it. No one is more miserable than the Christian who for some time hedges in his obedience. He does not love sin enough to enjoy its pleasures and does not love Christ enough to relish in his holiness. 
He perceives that his rebellion is iniquitous, but obedience seems distasteful. He does not feel at home any longer in the world, but his memory, memory of his past associations and the tantalizing lyrics of his old music prevent him from singing with the saints. He is a man most to be pitied, and he cannot forever remain ambivalent. God did not design you and I simply to come to church, to somehow be religious, somehow rule and reign in our own life. life. He, he came so that we may delight in him, that we would be satisfied in him. Why? Because that's when God is most glorified in us. And so, church, I love you, and may you abide in Christ these next few days. Amen? Amen. Merry Christmas. Let's pray together. And then we're going to sing a couple more songs. And hey, one favor, don't tilt your lit candle. And some of you will understand in a little while why you shouldn't have done that. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for the privilege of being here. God, I thank you for your church, for your people. And I pray that you would teach us to abide in you, to be known by you, to know you. And I pray, God, that in our quest for happiness, Lord, that we know it's not found in good gifts. It's not found in our favorite classic movie. It's not found in our grandmother's hot cocoa recipe. It's found in abiding in you. You say clearly. I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. God, I pray that we would not have a quest in our lives apart from you. So God, we love you. And we desire to be satisfied in you. In Jesus' name, amen.